we don't have access to the moon or to Mars to start farming them. We only have our planet to farm. And so because the planet isn't getting any bigger, uh, we need to figure out ways to become much more efficient in how we produce protein for humanity. And that means reducing our reliance on animals for food and shifting. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who want to be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. So today I'm joined by Paul Shapiro, CEO and founder of The Better Meat Company, and also the host of Business for Good Podcasts, author of the book Clean Meat. Before that, he was known as an animal protection advocate and also a four-time TEDx speaker, which is so exciting to me because that's one of my favorite things and a goal of my own. Um, And I couldn't be more thrilled to have him here. So thank you so much, Paul, for joining me um, on our podcast. I know everyone wants to hear um, what makes what you do so irresistible. So um, first, let's just talk a little bit about plant-based. I mean, you're obviously a pioneer in the space and you've been in it for a long time. Can you just talk a little bit about how you got into it? Christy, it's great to be with you. Thanks for chatting with me. I'm honored to be chatting with you. And yeah, so, you know, many people are now familiar with the fact that raising animals for food takes up a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, a lot of animal cruelty concerns, and more. And producing plant protein is takes up a small fraction of those kinds of resource problems. So many people have wondered, can we make plant protein that tastes more like animal protein? Because the problem is meat consumption is going up, not down. Uh, More and more people want meat and people are eating more meat per person than ever before. And so it's clear that humanity wants to eat meat. And, you know, we have nearly 8 billion of us on the planet today. And that number is only increasing and it's going to go up to closer to 10 billion by 2050. So how is it possible that we are going to feed humanity all of the meat that it wants without destroying the planet in the process? We don't have access to the moon or to Mars to start farming them. We only have our planet to farm. And so because the planet isn't getting any bigger, uh, we need to figure out ways to become much more efficient in how we produce protein for humanity. And that means reducing our reliance on animals for food and shifting toward far more efficient and far more resource-friendly methods of protein production. And so what the plant-based movement is trying to accomplish is essentially taking plants and turning them into foods that taste like meat. And we do that through a variety of ways. And my company, The Better Meat Co., uh, does a particular type of technology that enables us to create formulas that blend seamlessly into meat. So if you wanted to, for example, continue enjoying burgers, but that had a smaller footprint or that were better for you because they had less saturated fat or less cholesterol, then you would blend our ingredients into that burger and it would look and taste just like a conventional burger, except it would be better for you and better for the planet too. Um, Is it really true that more people are consuming meat than, than ever before? It's so interesting to me because it feels like there's such a push to plant based and there's so many brands and so much talk and vegan everything. Is it really true that more people are eating meat? Well, what's true is that on a per person basis, per the number of pounds of meat that people are eating is increasing. And And that's especially true in the places where it's going to matter the most in the future, like China and India 
and so on, the places that are that have the most people. And one of the things that happens is when countries start including more and more people in their middle class, one of the first things that people do when they escape poverty and enter the middle class is they start eating more meat. Now, of course, it's great for people to escape poverty. That's what we want. But it takes up a lot more resources to feed all of these newly middle class people. And so, you know, we want to make sure that people can enjoy the uh, benefits of being middle class without causing so many of the problems that we currently cause through high rates of meat consumption. But yes, I'm sad to say, Christy, that even in the United States, um, you know, meat consumption is at an all time high. And so, yes, there is an explosion in the plant based market. You have massive success stories like Beyond Meat, a very impressive company, um, but it's still a tiny fraction of the meat market. So just for perspective, if you think about plant-based milk, right now, plant-based milk is about 13% of all fluid milk sales in the United States. It's pretty high, uh, whereas plant-based meat is still less than 1%. Wow. Amazing. And so, so there's a long way to go. Now, I think this is a, an industry that is prime for growth because if you go back 15 years, plant-based milk was in a similar position. You know, it was a tiny little rounding error in the dairy industry altogether. Now, you know, all the major milk companies are doing plant-based milk too. And we're starting to see that with the big meat companies also investing in and starting their own lines of alternative meat too. What do you attribute the growth of the plant-based milk, the speed of that to? Is it different than meat or is it is it because people yeah. want to go dairy or what is it? Um, there's a few factors. So one is that plant-based milk started competing with on cost with animal-based milk, yeah. whereas plant-based meat is not doing that yet. Another is that plant-based milk uh, got moved from the alternative section into the dairy section. So people who were shopping for milk could all of a sudden see it right there. Whereas in the past, plant-based meat has been in like either the produce section or the freezer section, or now it's just beginning to go into the meat aisle itself. So it's becoming more customary to see companies like Beyond Meat in the meat aisle itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then also um, milk, plant-based milk on a taste basis just was much better. Um, you know, plant-based meat may be fine, but it's still hard to fool people, right? Now, some people are fooled even today, um, but in the past, it was pretty easy to discern between, let's say, a Boca burger and a regular hamburger, uh, because uh, the Boca burger was designed more for essentially, you know, vegetarians who were going to eat it for whether for animal welfare or environmental reasons. Now, companies are putting more and more R&D into figuring out how to get these products to really taste just like a conventional animal-based burger. So when you think about taste, price, and convenience, those are the three things that you really got to hit on in order to um, attract the customer. Now, the biggest reasons for going plant-based are, you know, improve your health, have a lighter footprint on the planet, prevent animal welfare problems, and so on. But the real motivating factors for most people for most of their food purchases are not health or ethics or the environment. Most people choose food based on taste, price, and convenience. And so now I think, you know, the plant-based milk purveyors were competing on taste, price, and convenience long before the plant-based meat makers were. And I think that's the primary reason you see that disparity between those two numbers we were just talking about. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your company? Because I think it's interesting what you're doing because you're not saying you have to be a vegan, obviously right. you're saying something different and I, I love what you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and what kind of success you're seeing with that? Sure. Well, I'm so glad that you asked Christy. So first, you know, if people want to be vegan. I think that's great. Um, I wish more people would make that decision. Are you a vegan? I am. Yep. Okay. And, and so, uh, but as I mentioned, 
the reality is, is that people are eating more meat than ever before. And we just have to accept that. Even if you don't like it, you have to play the cards as they're dealt. And meat consumption is projected to increase, not decrease going into the coming decades. And so the question is, what can we do that actually is helpful? So I think that having these alternative proteins today is fantastic. It's great, but it's only one part of the solution. So just in the same way that fossil fuels are such a big problem that you want lots of alternatives to compete against them. You want wind, solar, geothermal, and more. Factory farming of animals is also such a big problem that you want lots of alternatives. You want plant-based meat, you want what's called clean meat, which is real meat grown from animal cells rather than animal slaughter. And then there's also hybridization. So what we at the Better Meat Co. do is offer on a B2B ingredients basis, products that meat users like uh, Purdue Farms can blend into their products so they can use less animal protein and more plant protein. So for example, Purdue Farms, the major chicken company, blends us into their chicken nuggets and tenders to make a product that's about 50% chicken, 50% plant-based. It's called Purdue Chicken Plus. It's in 7,100 grocery stores. It's grown to be about 20% of Purdue's frozen chicken nugget sales. And the Food Network just named it the best tasting frozen chicken nugget in America. So think about that. If the best tasting frozen chicken nugget in America is only 50% chicken, just think how many fewer chickens we could use if we could just convert all the nuggets to that type of a formula. So what we do is essentially help meat, major meat companies hybridize their products so that they can have a lower footprint on the planet and produce a healthier product for their customer. That's awesome. That's really, really awesome. Can you talk about the um, animal cells product? Are you guys involved in that at all? I love, I mean, I heard that on one of your podcasts actually, and I had never heard about that before. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's very cool. To answer your question directly, uh, Better Meat Co. is not working on animal cell culture, but many companies are, and it's what my book is about that you referenced. So um, in, in, I wrote a book on the topic. It's called Clean Meat, How Growing yep. Meat Without, Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. And in effect, the book tells the story of the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the investors, the scientists who are all racing to commercialize the world's first ever real meat that is slaughter free. This is not an alternative to meat. It's not a substitute for meat. It is real, actual animal meat, except rather than being taken out of a once living animal's body, it is being grown from animal cells. And so what these companies can do is essentially take a tiny sesame seed sized biopsy from an animal and in tiny little biopsy, there are millions of cells and you can isolate them and put them into a cultivator that essentially replicates the conditions of the animal's body and the cells do what they would naturally do. They think they're in the body and so they keep growing. You don't have to use genetic modification in order to do this. The cells just do it on their own. And so what they're doing is creating real meat without animals. And I've had the pleasure of getting to enjoy those products. I've had clean duck, chicken, fish, beef, chorizo, liver, and more. And it's great. These products taste like meat because they are meat and they utilize a tiny fraction of the land and water that's needed to produce animal protein and with far fewer greenhouse gas emissions too. So for people who want to essentially have their meat and eat it too, <laughs> in this particular case, they can do it because you don't have to rely on alternatives in that case. Now, these products are not yet widely available on the market, um, but they will be. They're already being sold in Singapore now, and it's anticipated that they'll be available for sale elsewhere in the world in as little as a year from now. That's so cool. That's awesome. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about a little bit more about the successes you've had with Better Meat Co. and how you actually convinced people that it was a good idea? Um, because it's a it's a really interesting proposition. It's not a sub total substitute, but it's it's interesting. And and then also yeah. like the challenges. You must have had some challenges going in and over the past couple of years. Certainly, we've had a number of challenges, like any startup. But yeah. you know the the idea behind this was really that we wanted a pragmatic way to efficiently reduce demand and to make it clear that the meat companies can still participate in this new protein economy. Um, and if you contemplate, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you are running a fast food restaurant. You decide you're going to put on a plant-based burger on the menu. Chances are that that plant-based burger is going to be maybe one or 2% of your sales, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas if you took your burger and let's say you made it 25% plant-based, so now everybody is ordering the default item, that burger, and they're going to be getting 25% less animal protein and 25% more plant protein. So rather than having a reduction in consumption of, let's say, 1% or 2%, you're going to get 25% in that particular mm -hmm. scenario. And that's really the basis for what we're doing, is trying to efficiently reduce the amount of meat in the default products that nearly everyone is purchasing. And so the company got started back in May of 2018 uh, by talking with people who really love animals and want to save them and people who are concerned about the climate crisis um, and figuring out ways that we can efficiently cut demand for meat. Now, you know, one of the key things you've seen in the automobile market for reducing um, the amount of fossil fuels that are used is uh, through hybridization, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, basically you see hybrids, not only in terms of the hybrid of like a Prius or other uh, combination of gas and electric, but also through hybridization, meaning putting ethanol into gasoline. So when you put gas in your tank right now, you don't even contemplate that 15% of it is coming from ethanol. You don't even think about it. It's just 15% fewer fossil fuels because you're not getting uh, fossil fuels. You're putting this, what's really like a corn-based ethanol in there. And that's not a perfect analogy because there are some challenges of, of ethanol, but the point is um, that if you take the default that nearly everybody is doing and you make it a little bit better, you can have really big gains across the board. And that's the goal. And that's what we went out to investors with. And so to answer your question directly, Christy, you know, we went out to investors to start this company with this idea. And we were very fortunate that in our first round, we raised about a million and a half dollars uh, to get us off the ground. We've since gone on and raised about another eight million or so. So about nearly $10 million raised so far. And um, we're still a small company. You know, we only have uh, 15 people who work here, wow. but we're making real progress pretty fast. And I'm very proud of what our team has accomplished. It's a very smart team of scientists and engineers and innovators who want to create the future of protein to help sustainably feed humanity for generations to come. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's amazing. And I, I, I know the analogy is not perfect, but I actually really like it because I, when I first heard about it, I was like, why not just switch it all out? But you can, mm. and it's not realistic. So I love what you're doing. And I even think how you talked about the fast food restaurants, the 1% versus 25%. I think if people understood that, it would make such a huge difference. So that's very cool. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for the brand? Like, where do you want to be in five years with this brand? Well, we want to be a major ingredient supplier for the protein industry, and that could be either animal protein or plant protein. So in terms of who we're supplying to, we will always yep. supply plant protein. But, uh, you know, our ingredients can be used as the basis of fully plant-based meats, too. In fact, we sell some of them for that very purpose. So 
We want to grow as an ingredients provider to the food industry to enable the food industry to reduce its footprint on the planet. People, when they think about climate change or other environmental problems, oftentimes they're thinking about like transportation or fossil fuels and so on. But one of the biggest drivers of climate change and greenhouse gas emissions is the meat industry. And so anything that we can do to help reduce humanity's reliance on animals for food is a win for the environment. It's a win for the consumer. And of course, it's a win for the animals themselves. So that's our goal, to sell as much product as we can, become a major ingredient supplier to the food industry so that the food industry can become much more sustainable and have a lower footprint on the planet. Do you ever see yourself um, being a direct-to-consumer brand in any way? It's hard to imagine doing that. I think we have a bigger impact as a B2B ingredients company, yeah. honestly. Um, but, uh, you know, we never say never. Uh, lots of pivots get made in the world of startups. And, you know, we admit that we don't know what the future holds, but it's not in our plans right now. And and do you see, I mean, did, so Purdue is one of your big customers, right? Do they yes. talk about you or talk about, I mean, obviously you have to know that it's partly plant-based, but do they talk about yeah. what's in it? Sort of like Intel inside. <laughs> great, great analogy. Christy. I love it. So uh, first off, yes. So they put out a press release about their partnership with us, which was quite nice. But then also uh, on the front of the package, it makes it clear that if you buy those Purdue Chicken Plus nuggets, you are getting a quarter cup of vegetable servings per serving of chicken nuggets. So if you're having a hard time getting your kids to eat their veggies and they like to eat chicken nuggets, well, here's an example of a way you can get them to actually eat their veggies without them even knowing it. That's great. So the ingredients that are in your product are vegetables? Like, I, I know what they are, but talk about it a little bit so so other people know what they are. Yeah, sure. So we use a combination of plant proteins, fibers, fats, and flavors to create a seamless experience for the end user so that they don't know that this product is not a solely meat product. And so we use, uh, for example, peas and um, and other ingredients that enable us to do that. And so that's really a part of the magic of our formula, but it's uh, it's primarily based on peas and it works out really, really well and it's cost effective. Awesome. Well, I definitely need to try it. I am not a meat eater myself, but I'm, I'm really wanting to try maybe the chicken nuggets. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, if you don't eat meat, Christy, there's some really wonderful all plant-based chicken nuggets on the market. We actually just did a uh, taste testing of a number of them in our office. Mm -hmm. And uh, one that's available everywhere is the Morning Star chicken nuggets. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had them, but uh, our our own staff uh, really, really likes those ones a lot. Cool. Awesome. Um, Anything else you want to share um, with us, Paul, with people who are listening Uh, or thinking about starting something like this and just don't know where to go or how to do it or how to get the investors involved or stuff like that? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. The first is that there's always one word that I think is the most important word for anybody who wants to do something in the entrepreneurial space. And that word is a simple one syllable word, start. Don't wait. You may think that you don't have all the expertise that you need, or you may think you don't have the experience that you need. I'll give you a hint. Nearly nobody does. Most people who are running these companies, they've raised millions of dollars. You probably have more experience than they do. So I wouldn't suggest to yourself that you shouldn't do it simply because you may not be the perfect person to do it. That's fine. Start your company and go from there. Now, if you're going to be in the food space, I do recommend contacting the Good Food Institute. They're a fantastic nonprofit organization devoted to helping advance the alternative protein space. And they have enormous numbers of free resources for you on how to start a company, 
how to find co-founders, where the white spaces are to give you suggestions for what type of a company to start, where the investors are, how to get in touch with them, what their contact info are, what their specific interests are, and so on. And so the Good Food Institute has been a really invaluable resource. And if you want to do something in the alternative protein space, I highly recommend getting in touch with them at gfi.org. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I think this was so, first of all, so much fun to listen to, so inspiring, um, and a, just a ton of great info. So thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate it. Christy, it's a pleasure to talk with you from Sacramento, virtually yes. on camera. I'm giving you a fist bump. I'm giving you one back from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs>